There are many fallacies. Fallacies are wrong beliefs. Some wrong beliefs will work. You see, it, some of them cannot be proven to be wrong as well. One of the fallacies is that the strong will never fall. The fallacy that the strong will always be strong. The strong person will never fall. But we have evidence from the Bible, from our own life, from history, that even the strongest person may fall. In Greek mythology, you might have heard about Achilles. Achilles' feet is a common phrase. Achilles was a very, very strong soldier, warrior in the Trojan War. But he, he was a strong person, except for his heel. And nobody could shoot him down. But one man knew that he, if he shoot him on his knee, heels, he can fall and we can kill him. And that is why where this phrase, Achilles feet came. Those who have gone to Sunday school know the story or have taken effort to read the Bible at least once, might have come across the story of Goliath. What was the problem with Goliath? You know, he was strong, well-armored, tall, hefty, and strong, but he had one part of his forehead, a small place, which was not covered, very vulnerable, and all that it needed was a small stone on a sling. Goliath fell. We know the story of Samson, a very strong person. Even at his point of death, he could just hold the pillars or the temple and then pull the whole thing down. You know, imagine a man who is strong enough to hold the pillars of sacred world, the building that we are sitting and just make it collapse like a cardboard box, carton box. Strong. But that man also fell. Now here, in this passage of scripture that was read to us now, Revelation chapter 2, 12 onwards, the message to the church in Pergamum. There's one lesson that we need to take home. And that lesson is that, the first premise, the first lesson, observation is that even the strongest church, the strongest individual must be careful not to fall. We should recognize that there could be inherent weaknesses as a church and as an individual. A second lesson that I would like to say, highlight is, we should know how to delay gratification. Now gratification, that is a sign of maturity. When I come to that, I will explain what I mean by delaying gratification. Like all churches, the Lord has two parts or three parts to his message. One is, not all churches, most of the churches, the messages to most of the churches, one part is a compliment, complimenting them, congratulating them for what they are doing well, what they are good at. Secondly is a complaint, pointing out their weakness, what they lack. And third is always a reward, a reward that is waiting for those who conquer. This church, first part, this church was a very faithful church. As the title goes, it was an unrelenting church. 
It was strong against all the storms that were against it. Look at verse 13 of second uh, chapter. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, that is where you dwell, that is you are dwelling in the capital city of Satan, the great adversary. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antiphas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. Look, you have, the, uh, God says here, the, the Lord says here, there are two threats you are facing. One is a passive threat, and one is an active threat. You live in the midst of threat to your existence. Your very being is under threat. And that threat is, one is a passive threat, the other is an active threat. What uh, is a passive threat? That you are located right in the capital of Satan, where Satan's throne is. And then in the same verse, 2.13, it says, you live in the midst of, in the city where Satan dwells. Now, the city of Pergamum was a Roman city in present-day Turkey. The ruins are there, but there is no modern city around it, like the other city called Smyrna. Now, those days of John's, when John wrote this um, letter, this book, Pergamum was a pagan city, full of temples all over. There was a hill over there, and there was a temple of Apollo, there was a temple for the uh, Roman emperor, and all imposing structures of pagan worship. The moment you enter the city of Pergamum in those days, the very spirit of the place is dull and oppressive. Now, you know the concept of spirit of the place. Spirit of the place is that air the city or the place transpires. You know, when you go to the Japanese garden, it has its own spirit. The spirit and the spirit of the place, you know. And then you come out of it and you look up to the hills where all the slums have come up. You, you, you have a dull, isn't it? Or you go out to another place, see, for example, you go to a, a religious city, go to Vatican. It is a different spirit. Or you go to Varanasi, there's another spirit. The people who move around, the temples and the rivers and all sort of things and all that, there is another thing. You go to Mecca, it has another spirit. It is a Muslim spirit. You go to a university town like Cambridge or Oxford or something like that. Now I know those places because I have lived there for a short while. Now there is a, there is a academic, you know, you cannot be simply an idiot in that city. Now there are idiots also, because I know the reason. Because people walking, you know, with laptops in their hands and suitcases in their hands and and uh, people, you know, very serious people, in the universe is a small town of Cambridge, where I spent three months uh, last year. You know, everybody is serious. There is nobody fooling around there. You know, because, you know, people, I see people in academic gowns sometimes, and one day right in front of the library, I, I lost my way. I asked a man, serious, absent-minded guy who was walking, stooping, with his suitcase in his hand, I asked him, where is the library? I was standing right in front of the library because I was not looking at that. So probably that was a Nobel Prize winner. I don't know. <laughs> but I asked a stupid question in the most intelligent place. Anyway, that is what we call 
the spirit of the place there could be religious spirit there could be an academic spirit but if you go to some other places it's a business spirit everywhere you see you know i went to a dubai in a place in dubai where you see the big big towers all along and you have the the sign of sony a national geographic all the media and big big company huge neon signs and you are surrounded by these buildings and that has another spirit but sometimes these spirits can be inspire you the very place itself can inspire you you know the, the very office where you sit down and work the way you arrange it can inspire you and make you this uh, make you uh, very uh, oppressive as well it can also dishearten you you know it can make you enchanted and disenchanted sometimes it can oppress and liberate as well but for gamam had a spirit of pagan worship the moment you enter to pergamum when you see all the temples and all these cut shrines and the the sacred groves and all the incense the altars and all that thing it tells by its very place the spirit of the place it looked like the capital city of satan that's the problem to survive in such a place surrounded by pagan worship pagan worshipers people who have disowned the truth that itself is an threat to the existence of this church that was but in that in the context of that surrounded by pagan friends surrounded by pagan business partners surrounded by all that pagan festivities that is going around when you have to drive around wade through many many bundles three times every year one after another music all around you which is not glorifying god it's very difficult to stay put focused on christ it's oppressive but even in the midst of that the church in pergamum they held fast to the name of jesus let me read 213 again i know where you dwell where satan's throne is yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith even in the days of antipas my faithful witness that was not the problem the problem was not the religious what in the propensity of the place that was not the problem that was not the only problem but there was another problem too the threat was active it was not just simply passive it was active there was tremendous persecution and even their bishop called antipas antipas was the bishop of pergamum he was martyred he was killed that is similar to say, saying the pastor of the congregation was taken arrested by the police and killed but even that happened even when their leader and many others might have lost their life as well in that persecution you still held fast to my name that is the great thing about the church in pergamum you know they were living in a city surrounded by pagan spirits and they were persecuted to the extent of 
their pastor, their elder was assassinated, still they held fast. Well, who is Andy Pass? Andy Pass is the bishop I said. There are two Andy Passes in the Bible. One is Herod the Andy Pass, called Ant Herod in the New Testament. He is the one whom Jesus called the fox. Moreover, he is the one who assassinated John the Baptist. Antipas. And the other Antipas we know is this man. There is only one reference about this Antipas here. But rest we know from Christian writers. We know that Antipas was the bishop and he was, as his name says, Antipas, simply means against everything. He wrote the Antipas, the one who killed John, was against everything that was good. On the contrary, this Antipas, Bishop Antipas, or the pastor of the church in Pergamum, was Antipas against everything that was bad. That's a contrast. Now we have the Christian writers write tell us that Antipas, the bishop, was a man of a saint, very close to God, and he used to pray intensely in this pagan city to the extent that the demons would appear in the dreams of their devotees, who, people who went to these shrines and these cult places. In the dreams, the demons whom they worshipped appeared and told the worshippers that they no more can live in the city because of the prayers of Antipas, the senior pastor of Pergamum Church. So many people had such dreams when the demons would come in the dreams and say, we are leaving the city because, because of this man, the pastor of that church, Pergamum, is praying and we can't tolerate the heat of his prayer, so we are leaving. So the bishop, sorry, the, the devotees of these uh, places, they went to complain to the governor of the municipality, the city, and complain because of Antipas, this is happening. Our uh, the, the people, the gods and idols we worship are complaining that they are going to leave the city. So anyway, to cut the short, uh, story short, the government authorities, the Roman authorities arrested him. Tried or not tried, I don't know. But the old man, he was a very old age, and he passed, was assassinated. He was thrown to hot oil and he was roasted until he died. He was roasted alive. That is how Antipas died. Even such a tragedy happened in that church. One fine morning they were without their pastor. Their senior pastor, their elder, or whom they call, maybe call, might have called a bishop, they still held fast to the faith that was entrusted to them. That was the kind of zeal, that is the kind of commitment that the church in Pergamum had. Now, to just give, underline this. Now, we had a tragedy in our church some years ago, in the early stages of our church. 
Our church had its beginnings, new beginnings, through a Sunday school. About more than 30 people came, 30 children from different communities came to us. And then believers started coming, parents started coming, and that is how the church started in a sense. Those days, tragedy struck. Two of our kids in the Sunday school, very active, lovely kids, brothers and sister, brother and sister, they, along with their dad, their grandfather, and their cousin, was crushed to death by a drunken truck driver in Kalapu. So two of them, the grandfather and the cousin, was buried there, and the, the, death, the body of the dad and the two kids were brought to Pune, and they were buried here in Pune. And they were the very active kids in the church, in, in the Sunday school. And uh, there's a family of two kids, father and mother. Now mother is alone, on left. I mean, one service in one grave, one big uh, grave, we had to bury father and the two children on either side. It was a great tragedy. But that is why our Sunday school lost the children. Children were scared to come to Sunday school because they missed these dear ones, lovely ones. It is almost 10 years now, or 9 years at least, definitely 8, eight or 9 years now. But that's how we lost our children, that lost our enthusiasm for the Sunday school. Now the Sunday school had to stop. Now it's trying to come up. Still we have less than 10 students in the class. Just because of one tragedy. When the pastor of a church here passed away, not martyred, not murdered, a natural death, many people left that church and went to other churches. Some people even lost their faith in Christian, in Christ. That's what the effect of death on a church, on our belief. When people had I have a dear one who, when his mother died, he was in ministry. He left ministry. He said, no, no more this serving God. It can happen. But even then, this church survived. Every individual in the church stood strong. It became stronger and stronger and stronger. This may look like the story, familiar story, sometimes your story. Or somebody whom you know their story. When they came to faith alone from their families or from whichever social group they were part of, they were persecuted. As we had already seen in many sermons before, they lost their right to their property. They lost many things, but still they held on. They are strong. They are seasoned saints, saints who are strong enough to withstand all opposition to their life. In the midst of the strongest, the most severe situations, even in situations where everything was against them, even the air they was breathing was full of idolatry. Still in the midst of that, they survived. Even when their pastor was dragged out of the congregation, 
one day and was roasted alive in oil. They held on. That is what the Lord says. That's what I compliment you for. But it also comes with a warning, second thing. That is, the same, same principle I said earlier. The strongest person also has his share of weaknesses. Even the strongest person has his own weaknesses. Now that is about the external threat. It is probably easier for us to resist the threat from outside. But the most dangerous thing is threat from inside. The church and the believers may not be able to stand, withstand the threat from inside. What was their problem? The next verse talks about that. 2, 14 to 15. Let me read it first. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So you also have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. What is the problem? The problem can be summarized in one word, accommodation. The problem was accommodation. What is accommodating? Try to live with, coexist with things that are not compatible with your faith and with your uh, with uh, life with Jesus Christ. When people try to accommodate things, that's okay. Let's have that also. And that also seems to be okay. So let us accommodate that as well. Many lives, individual or corporate lives, can, the weakness is, the spirit or the tendency to accommodate things that are false, things that are not of God. And that's what happened. Now the story of Balaam, in 2.14, he talks about two things. The sin of Balaam, okay, the, the, what, the sin that the Israelites committed in Numbers 25, 1 to 5, if you are taking down notes. And the other is about the Nicolaitans. We have no, don't know anything about Nicolaitans. Nothing. It could be the same thing. That is, what happened in the case of this, the first case, we referred as Balaam's problem, is that Balak, the king of Moab, had hired, read uh, Numbers 20 to 25, hired a man called Balaam to prophesy a curse upon Israelites, the people of Israel, the people of God. And he tried three times, but he could not curse them. He could only bless them. Finally, Balaam gave Balak an advice. You can't do anything against these people unless they themselves sin. So what happens in Numbers 25 is that the people of Israel were invited to the pagan feast of the, the Moabites. The women, the Moabite women invited them. 
or the men invited them. A sacrifice means a big feast. You offer something to God and the rest you are, you have a, it is like what you call a, a big carnival, a religious carnival. So the people went there and the people enjoyed it there and they married men, Moabite women and then finally they started worshipping a god called Baal Peor. And finally, the wrath of God fell on them. And God did punish them for that mistake, for the sin. Now, what's the problem with what is the Achilles feet of the church in Pergamum? You have among you some who are accommodating the wrong, who are tolerating. You are steadfast in times of threat. You stand united. Even when there was a death threat, you defied it. But you have people who accommodate what the Lord is against. This church, like many other churches, is a mosaic of different persuasions. Most of you sitting here are saved in another church or you are part of another church, maybe in another city. You were raised in that church or you were raised in that particular religion because you became a believer in Christ. And when you came to core or when you joined any other church, you brought your own baggages as well. Your own beliefs, things that you were taught that is right, certain value systems, and we have come, all of us have come to this church. Now we are not a church in a sense, we are a community. A community is a group of people who have shared values and a common goal. There are no two different goals here. We agree on the values. When I was confronting a dear sister, and she innocently said, that what I did, the sin I did, is fine according to my culture. So I had to tell her, no, it's a sin, and it is not maybe right according to your culture, but we follow the culture of Jesus Christ, what the Bible says, and according to that, it is wrong. So you have a culture you imported from Kerala, it is a couple who have the culture from Andhra Pradesh, and there are people who come from UP with their culture, and there are people from Tamil Nadu with their culture. And if you all live according to our culture, community is not possible. We have to have one culture. And one value system. One goal. Now when we try to accommodate this, we fall. When we try to simply accommodate just because you are different, I am different, you have come from some other place, you have come from this different place. That is the main weakness of the Bible study. Sorry, of the church. But how do we achieve it? We achieve it with a core who are committed to studying the scripture together, exploring the truths of the Bible together, praying together. As someone already said yesterday's prayer meeting, when we study Bible together, when we pray together, when we fellowship together, when we worship together, a community of like-minded people emerge. 
That is the goal that I have. That is what God asked me to do. Otherwise, the whole thing will collapse. Even our individual lives. Let me move on to that individual life. In individual lives as well. You know, you can be on Sunday one value. And Monday it can be different one. You can, I tell people who are in business, people who are in corporate world, the life there demands something else. Yielding to that, which is against Christian values, is your Achilles feet. God against it. None of us work in the same place. I hope so. So what you do in I place, or what you do in Infosys, will go unnoticed to the, your own brother or sister who work in a different place. Just because nobody watches you, you are not allowed to do what God hasn't allowed you to do. Never, ever accommodate. Resist. Stand firm. I say these people who are on business tools, a very vulnerable thing. A team of young men and women goes, shares the same hotel. There's possibility of all types of sins there. You can share the drinks, food, and it can go to any extent. I'm not making up. I'm speaking from my experience as a pastor for over 30 plus years. People have shared their temptations and their sin. Do not accommodate. There are some among you. That is the problem with Pergamum. The problem with Pergamum is, as a church, they have resisted the passive threat and the active threat. They have stood firm even in times of martyrdom. But they fell. They fell. Accommodation is the greatest sin. Accommodating false doctrines. The other Saturday, Thursday, I was clarifying some. You know, there are a lot of people out there that give you small parcels of truth, not the whole truth. You, many of you are raised on a diet which is not balanced which is not the whole counsel of God. And then you come here and you try to use it here. Sometimes, you know, people pray a sort of a name it and claim it prayers. You know, some people have forwarded me some of the prayers that are prayed in some of our prayer meetings. It's, it takes people away from the grace of Jesus Christ. Whatever is done that way cannot be accommodated. And I spoke to somebody last Thursday I was trying to clarify the air. I said, look, we have to take the, uh, to, uh, the biblical truth seriously and wholly committed to it. See, whatever promotes your flesh, whatever promotes non-Christian values, whatever is against biblical truths, whichever form it comes, must be rejected, resisted. That is the point. Resist that. Otherwise, we will, like Achilles fell, like Samson fell, like Goliath fell. 
and many, many saints fell, will fall. A contemporary example is a man whom I know. He was a communist and he was an atheist. But by the grace of God, he was saved. And now he keep on appearing on YouTube and Facebook and has a lot of people who follow him. And he was very, he could preach the gospel very convincing manner. Years went by, went by, went by, went by. Now he has made a posting. He has started growing a long beard up to this. And uh, he looks a very saintly beard. But recently he posted a posting saying, I am a Pentecostal atheist. I don't know the contradictory terms. And now he is communist, he says, sometimes he's an atheist, he says, I don't know what's going on with him. With all the abilities that he has, the oratory skills that he has, the knowledge he has, he is faltering. Now, let me tell you why this happened to the Israelites. What happened in Numbers 25? All that happened is, when the Moabites invited them, some of these men went to the party. That's all that he did. Now when the Moabites said, we have a festival, why don't you just come? We have a feast after that. We'll have a, some sort of singing, celebration, party, dancing. So why don't you come? So they just went, innocently went. What is after all, what is it? Just a party, isn't it? So they just went. But that led to a deeper sin. They went to the party, they met the Moabite women, and some of them married these Moabite women, the social context that was uh, uh, given, and then finally they went away from the faith. Finally, a few years later, or a few months later, they became fully devoted devotees of a god, an idol called Baal Peo. It all started with social contact. It all started with social contact. But avoiding dangerous social contact requires spiritual wisdom and discernment. While I was in London, in a church, a lady came to me, a young lady, maybe 30-year-old nurse who had migrated from India with her husband who was a doctor. Doctor, nurse, couple. And she came to me with this lovely kid, three-month-old kid, holding that kid. And she shared me, shared with me the sto her story. And they came to, uh, to London to work, immigrated. Her husband was a doctor and she was a nurse. Well, and they loved the social life in London. They loved the social. They went to, they had a lot of money. As a doctor and nurse, you can, you can mint money. And with all the money they had, they went to, they made sure that they don't miss any parties. So they went to all the parties. They wanted to mix with the British. They wanted to mix and get to know the other cultures. And um, they want to have a wonderful life here in this new city. And that led, her husband was a very, very keen uh, was, uh, student of the Bible. In the sense he studied the scriptures, went to all the prayer meetings and all that. But now, she went, he started going there and the social, the, little by little, they picked up social drinking, just having a sip during the party before the uh, white 
meat or red meat and they knew how to choose their wine, you know, to match the meat and all that. And uh, then slowly, slowly they started and they had a lot of contacts. And the wife had a lot of friends, the husband had a lot of friends. To cut the long story short, when she was carrying her <laughs> child, the husband left her in the eighth month or something and went after a woman whom he met in the party. She didn't know that the relationship, the friendliness that her husband developed with another woman will lead to that disaster. Finally, her husband, who was a doctor, left her and went and lived with the other woman. It all starts with party brothers and sisters. It all starts with parties. It all starts with celebrations. But the end is disastrous. Know your social limits. Your social limits must be decided by your spiritual limits. There are no two different. Be careful. Now, party. But Jesus says, brothers and sisters, in Pergamum, you are going after these parties. In the sense, the religious festivals. You see, what's the difference between coming to church and having going to that people, to that particular religion, for their festivities also? The problem would be, that festivities, that parties may lead you to a greater danger. Stay away from it. Now, it's to make things clear. Jesus says, to the one who conquers, 2.17, verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give him what? The hidden manna and a white stone. That is very difficult to interpret. No two commentators may agree on it. To the one who... Can you have... 17. And the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who received it. This may take probably hours to explain. But let me give you just one simple explanation. The hidden manna, manna is the food that God gave to Israelites when there was no food around. It was white in color. It was sweet as honey. And it was a wonderful food that fell from heaven while they were journeying through the wilderness. It's a provision of God. And the book of Revelation tells us there's a great feast awaiting all of us. The feast that goes with the wedding feast of the Lamb. Now we have seen that earlier in our earlier sermons. And there is a great celebration waiting for all of us who are now on earth as we journey towards that eternal city. We are going to join the great feast that the Lord has prepared for us. All those who conquer. All those who stand against the temptations and the problems in this world. And then he also says, I will give them a white stone. See, it's also subject to many interpretations. 
A symbol in the Kodesh is this. If you enter a Roman feast hall, a party hall, when there's a feast going on, they will give you as an entry ticket a white stone with a name written on it, your name. It, is, it simply means an admission ticket. An admission ticket. So that is what the white stone is. But here, there's a difference. In the white stone, it is not your name that is written. It is some other name. But only you will be able to recognize that name. Okay. What would be that name? If I get a white name with the name with Sheila written on it, I know that's my wife's name. Or some other beautiful man, woman's name. In which way? Or if it is uh, Rao's name is written, we as Rao, I know who you are. And not only you, everyone else knows it. Right? But here is a name which only you recognize. The one who received recognizes. It is not other people's name. It's the name of Jesus. You recognize it. If you are not in Christ, I give you the name of Jesus. I mean, this thing, you say, who is this? Because you don't know. Only the one who received knows the name that is written. The name of the Lamb that is slain, Jesus Christ. Now the point is, knowing him is the entry ticket to the great feast. We have a great feast waiting for us. In eternity, in the day of the Lamb's marriage, wedding, there is a feast waiting for us. But the entry is limited to those who know Him, those who can recognize Him. Now, now the big contrast here, in conclusion, there are a lot of feasts going around us. The feast of Moab, the feast of the Philistines, the feast of whatever things that you know around you. Corporate festivals, corporate celebrations. Now you have to go because then only you can make contacts with people for better business deals, better this thing, better that and better recognition. You know, to, to get along with people of different persuasions and wrong beliefs even. You just compromise. This is where we have to delay gratification. What is grat delaying gratification? It's a psychological concept. Let me explain it. Okay. Here is an offer. Though it may be a little um, detouring from my main point. Here is an offer. You will get 10,000 rupees now free. Prime Minister Modi is going to give everybody um, who has I mean everyone, irrespective of whether you are APL or BPL or whatever it is. Going to give you 10,000 rupees. Sorry, let's make it 1 lakh. <laughs> because it's simply an example. It has no financial consequences for me. So 1 lakh right now. But you can get this. But he is also promising that he will give you 1 crore after 15 years. Which one would you choose? One lakh right now, you just go to the post office with your other card, you will get one lakh. Or would you prefer 15 crores after 15 years? You will get, instead of one lakh now, you will get 15 lakh after. So make it much more easier. 10 years. Which one do you prefer? One lakh now or 15 uh, lakh, 15 crore after 10 years? Which one do you like? Which one do you prefer? 
Can I have a show, show of hands? Those who would like to have one lakh now, raise your hands. Or would you, who can wait for 10 years to get 15 crore? Who are they? Now, that is because it's one, I said 15 crore. And you know where I am leading, you are smart. The point is, most people will settle for one lakh now. Majority of the people will settle for one lakh now, then having to wait 10 years to have 15 crores. Because gratification. Few people can delay the gratification. They want instant gratification right now. That is better than later. That is better than having a lot later is having the little right now. Isn't it? That doesn't work in Christian faith. We have to delay the celebration to eternity. Now, there are lots of temptations around. You know, there are easy teachings going on. I am most worried about the sort of teaching, biblic, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is going around in the city. You know, the way people talk about Holy Spirit so casually, so cheaply, People who flock to churches for some miracles to happen right now. Then, humble themselves, wait upon the Lord and worship the Lord even when there is no cows in their stalls. Like Habakkuk said. We had to find very few people. When those sort of people enter the church and when such values such teachings are tolerated, the church crumbles from inside. From within, it crumbles like a pack of cards. It will crumble, fall. That's what we have to stand against. Stand against. Every seasoned saint must know that there are plenty of reasons to fall. Resist that. Pray for me as well, that I may have the grace to lead this congregation, this flock, this sheep, in such a way that we all will be found in eternity together. That is my goal of life. Goal, the life's goal is that. I sometimes pray for just ten people. Very well. I just pray for 10 people who will separate at least 30 minutes every day to pray. That is what somebody shared in the beginning. Who will just pray, sit in the presence of God and for, forget all that is happening around them. Financial losses, the loans you have, everything you leave it to God and just sit and enjoy His presence at least for 30 minutes every day. If I God can raise that I think all the problems in the church and the churches around will be solved by us. May God bless us. Amen.